Tonight's reading will come from Psalm 1, and we'll just read the whole chapter, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruits in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he shall prosper, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. If you and I were to get together this evening after worship and decide on putting together a brand new songbook, we were going to take all the songs that we had knowledge of and all the songs that were written in praise to God and sure there'd probably be some new ones in there, sure there'd probably be some old ones in there, sure there'd probably be some that, uh, that we've grown up singing and that we know and we care about and that have touched us deeply. But my question would be, which song would we put first? See, I've thought about in times past doing my own songbook, putting it together and compiling and realize that time and limitations and money especially and knowledge and know-how and uh, the team of lawyers that you would need in order to accomplish such a task was far too much for me. But I thought, okay, if I'm going to put together my own songbook, what song would be number one? So that for the, <laughs> for the duration of that hymnal, that song what he would say, let's sing song number one in our hymnal. What would you put? Just on a whim, I did a search of all the hymnals that I have in my library, and from great songs of the church years ago, Tell Them About Jesus was song number one. It was actually a commissioned song for a, uh, for a particular congregation that sponsored the project. I didn't know that. Interesting. Songs of Faith and Praise, one of the popular hymnals that's used today, We Praise Thee, O God, is song number one. Well, that seems fitting. That seems like a great song number one to, uh, to get started. Songs for Worship and Praise, kind of the updated version of the Songs of Faith and Praise. Number one, to God be the glory. Great things he had done. That's a great song, isn't it? When you look at uh, great songs and uh, church gospel songs and hymns, can't read my own writing. I am bound for the promised land. You look at Christians, at pilgrims, as sojourners here on this earth, as Peter describes us, and you say, yeah, absolutely, that fits. I'm bound for the promised land. Our own hymnal that we use week in, week out, you ever thought about what song is number one? You know it offhand? Each day I'll do a golden deed by helping those who are in need. We call it a beautiful life. There are a number of different songs that we could look at and say that would be great for song one. I wonder sometimes why it is that in divine inspiration, God had Psalm 1 to be the one that was just read in your hearing just a few moments ago. You see, when you look at the categories of songs and psalms that were part of the Hebrew hymnal, if you were, the book that we have of the 150 uh, songs, individual Hebrew songs, there are a number of types of them that you'll notice in your Bible. There are celebration psalms that are particularly, God has brought me through this, and I have every reason to sing to him and talk about his greatness and his glory. There are historical psalms. 
Psalms that recount the history of Israel all the way back from the time that, uh, that God brought Israel out of Egypt and how the people rebelled in the wilderness. All the warts and everything, those are in historical Psalms. There are Psalms that are penitential. Psalm 32, Psalm 51, we mentioned two of those. The Psalms after David sinned with Bathsheba. Praying to God for a clean heart. Praying to God for a renewed relationship with him. Psalms of petition. God, I need help. God, I'm in a deep and dark place. I need your strength to get me out of here. There are psalms of uh, imprecatory psalms, as it were. That is, calling down divine judgment upon the ungodly and upon the people that would oppress the psalmist. There are psalms of crises and psalms of illness and psalms of helplessness. What we find in the divine literature, Psalm 1 being, is primarily didactic. That is a fancy word that just means it's a teaching psalm. It's a song that's designed to teach us something about our God and about our relationship with him. You want a summary for Psalm 1? Here it is. The blessed man is the man who knows God and who God knows. The blessed man is the man who knows God and who God knows. And that relationship has underneath it the word of God being the delight of this man. And so when we look at Psalm 1 together, I told you on Sunday morning that this would primarily be a, uh, a kind of a workshop of taking a look at this psalm and pulling out some lessons that we can learn. I know that we're talking about in Sunday morning Bible class, living by the book. And as we look at these things together, we'll observe the big picture. We'll see some of the finer details and some of the moving parts of this psalm. And then we're going to interpret it and then we're going to apply it. If you've got your worksheet there before you, or if you've got your, uh, your Bible open, I hope that you do, draw a line between verses 3 and 4, because this is the two major sections of Psalm 1. It is divided right down the middle from the, un from the godly man and then the ungodly man. Verses 1 to 3, here's the guy that God blesses, verses 1 to 3. Here is the guy who God doesn't know. Here is a guy who is not going to be able to stand in the judgment. Here is the ungodly man, verses 4 to 6. It's just divided right down the middle, and you'll be able to notice with me verses 1 to 3 and then verses 4 to 6. The fundamental thing is, folks, it causes me to ask some very reflective questions about my relationship with God. In this teaching psalm, what is it that God is trying to say? What do I learn about the God of heaven, and what do I learn about my relationship to him? Reflective questions we need to ask from Psalm 1. Number 1. Who are my counselors? Who are my counselors? Blessed is the man. He's going to start off talking about this man who's blessed by God. But he's not going to do, say, who does this and this and this and this and this. Instead, he's going to talk about the man in the negative of what he doesn't do. A blessed man is known by what he doesn't do. What does he not do? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Note the verbs just for a moment. Walks, stands, sits. Walks not in the path of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. My mind goes back to high school days. You and these other group of guys or girls are walking down the hallway, and you're heading to the same class, but you're not really with them. And next thing you know, they're elbowing you in the side and saying, get a load of this person over here. Get a load of him and his, you know, his, his, his pants that are high. What, does he think it's going to flood? Is he, why has he got his high waters, right? And you kind of, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny, right? 
Next thing you know, what are you doing? You're standing there in the hall outside your locker going, when are those guys going to come back? Standing in the path of the sinners. Next thing you know, what are you doing? You're sitting down with them at the lunchroom table making fun of everybody and everything. When you think about scornful and scoffers, think about Simon Cowell, right? On American Idol and how it was that he just sat in derision of just about everything. You know, people like that, they like to sit in derision of people. When we look at this blessed man, blessed is the man who doesn't do these things. He's not walking around with uh, these ungodly people. He's not standing in their path. He's not sitting down with them. What's the difference? But, contrast, here's this, but he does this. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Folks, what you're going to find in our lives is the people we hang around and where we put our delight is going to say a whole lot about our relationship with God. We counsel our young people many times to say, listen, be careful of the friends you choose. You know why? If you give me five minutes with your friends, I'll be able to tell a whole lot about you as a person. Why is that? Because it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 holds true. Be not deceived, evil companions corrupt good morals. Proverbs chapter 24 says, make no friends with an angry man, and with a furious man uh, don't go. Why not? Because you're going to learn his ways, and you're going to set a snare for your soul. What does that mean? That means my friends have a, an ability to impact who I am as a person. But where I put my delight is my delight in cultivating those ungodly friendships and those uh, with those ungodly people, or is my delight in looking into and saying, I want to be a friend of God most high more than anything else. The only way I'm going to be able to get to know him is by spending time delighting in his word. That's the difference. Who are my counselors? Which we ask also the question, what is my delight? What is my delight? It's my delight, the fact that I know every pop culture reference, and I know exactly what's going on social media at any given time. I don't know about you, but social media is getting more and more discouraging and disturbing as I get older. Why is that? Because you're going to find people that have more delight in sharing the fact that they make the most delicious cheese sandwich than really in, in doing anything else of productive value. You're going to find a whole lot of people that, even though they may not say these things to your face, what are they going to do? They're going to sit behind the keyboard, and they're going to spend time trying to tear down or, or, or maybe passively beat somebody up, or maybe passively deride something that they've seen and something that they can sit in judgment of. Psalm 1, verse 1. But it is, when we make our delight in the law of the Lord, in his law he meditates. Now, ice tea. The best tea is the tea that's been allowed to steep. When I take the tea bag and I just have a pitcher of water and I just dunk it in there and pull it back out, and I say, hey, honey, the tea's ready. She's going to say, no, it's not. What do you got to do? You got to take the tea bag and you got to leave it in there for a while. And you got to let it steep and let it stew. Why is that? Because the best tea is the tea that's allowed to stay in the water in order to affect it positively. Folks, you may not... And I hope it is that you're getting something out of your Sunday morning Bible class about living by the book and how to get your head in the book and how to have it make an impact in your life. 
But I want you to know that time spent in God's word, even if it is that you're just looking at a single verse, or even if it is that you're just looking at a single section, and you're trying to grasp and you're wrestling with the meaning of it, that is not wasted time. Because you're allowing the word of God to steep in your life. Until it is the time when you can look and say, I see now how that applies to me here. I see now how this can make a difference in my life here. I see now better the man that God wants me to be or even the man God doesn't want me to be. And this is what I'm committed to do. What's my delight? Doing things that are not necessarily productive or helpful or encouraging or really godly? Or is it spending time trying to cultivate the heart of a person who knows God and who is known by God? Question number three that Psalm 1 invites me to ask. Number three, what does my life produce? We're still talking about the godly man. Trace the pronouns. Blessed is the man, circle man, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the scornful, but his, who are we talking about? We're still talking about that blessed man. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He, who are we talking about? We're talking about the blessed man. We're talking about the man who makes his law and delight in the law of the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and all he does shall prosper. Four parts. He's going to be like a tree planted by rivers of water. Here's a man who is stable. Here is a man who is rooted. Here is a man who you don't have to understand the fact that if storms are going to come, he is going to stay right where he is. He's going to be a person that's not shaken whenever it is that there's comes, uh, there comes difficulty and discouragement and hardship and tragedy. Here's a man who's going to stay right where he is. Stability. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Number two. Here's a man that you don't have to worry about what it is that he's going to produce. You don't have to worry about the fact that if he's going to produce or not. What kind of fruit? Have you ever had a fruit tree that you didn't know whether well, what you were going to get from season to season? Oh, uh, well, I, ho I hope it produces this year. It didn't give me much last year. That's not this guy. This guy's bringing forth his fruit in his season. You don't have to worry about this guy bearing fruit. You know, the truth about fruit bearing, looking especially at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You know what your life is producing is based upon your roots. The fruit we grow comes from the roots below. You find a man who makes his delight in the law of the Lord, and he isn't going to be a man who is rooted Beside nourishing water, not stagnant water, not, not a cesspool. But here's a man who is rooted beside a water that's going to continue to nourish and going to continue to cause this man to grow. That's the word of God, and that's this man spending time in the word of God because he's, got, uh, he's known by God and he knows God. He's planted by rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in the season. Number three, whose leaf also shall not wither. Galatians 6 verse 10 tells us, don't grow weary in doing good. Here's a man who's not going to wither whenever it comes time, whenever he gets tired, whenever he gets weary. He's going to continue going on and continue producing. Whose leaf also shall not wither, and all he does shall prosper. 
There's a lot of people that preach wealth and health gospel, prosperity gospel. But what we understand is the Lord is going to take care of his own. Matthew 6, Jesus gives this wonderful, beautiful passage about the fact that we spend so much time of our lives worrying about the type of clothes that we're going to wear, worrying about where our food is going to come from. And Jesus says, don't worry, three times in that context, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And the examples he gives, look at the birds of the air. You see those birds, those little bitty birds. They're not wandering around. They're not trying to uh, hoard up all these uh, different seeds and things. God's going to take care of them. How much more value are you? Look at the lilies of the field. See how they're, how, how they're clothed, how beautiful they are. Said Solomon wasn't even arrayed like one of those. If God cares for the grass like that, do you not believe he's going to care for you? And he concludes that section by saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What he's ta- what's he talking about? The things we worry about. Folks, when we look at our lives and we see the fact that we've got a heavenly father that loves us and cares for us, or in the language of what we're talking about this evening, a man who is delighted in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night and here's a person who's not going to be swayed, here's a person that's going to be planted and bearing fruit and he's not going to wither down, go weary and well-doing, but he's going to prosper because He knows the Lord, and he is known by the Lord. What does your life produce? Look at the but, verse 4. The ungodly are not so. Contrast. We talked about observing individual parts. Here's this guy, planted like a tree. Here's this other guy. He's like the chaff which the wind drives away. Similes. Like a tree, like chaff. Two people. One knows God, one makes his delight in the law of the Lord. The other one, if you like, is a friend of the ungodly and friend of the sinners and sits down in the seat of the scornful. I took a mission trip with some young people one time and we went up to uh, uh, Ohio and we were doing some work at a children's home and uh, there was a wheat field right across the, uh, the, well, right across the road from where it was and I pulled over the church van one time and uh, on our way in and uh, from the field from working and uh, I said, come on kids, get out, let's, let's take a look at this. I said, what? And I picked up a, a stalk of wheat and I took the wheat and I began to roll it like this in my hands. You know what happened? The wheat stayed right where it was, but all the husk, all the chaff began to be blown away with the wind. And I said, you know what we're talking about with Psalm 1? You know, this is, this is the wheat and the chaff. And they said, that's great, Mr. Andy. Can we get back in the van? Anyway, but that's beside the point. <laughs> that's the idea. Here's the wheat. Here's the empty shell, the husk. Where's it going to go? Wherever the wind blows. We see that with regard to everything in our culture, don't we? It's amazing to me that people can get so upset about something politically happening. Oh, it's the worst thing ever. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, our country's heading down the tubes. That may well be. But you know what? After this week goes away, you know what's going to happen next week? There's going to be something that's probably worse. And while people get so upset and so excited about this over here, oh no, what's going to happen? The bottom's going to drop out. Next week, they're going to be blown way over here. Oh no, what's going on? What's going to happen? Oh no, we're on. the bottom's going to drop out. Politically, we can be blown about as chaff. That's the truth. Are we rooted? Are we grounded? Socially, culturally, we can be blown about as chaff. 
when you find people that are in the limelight and you know all of their names, you know all of their songs, you know all of the sort of details of their life, and you're thinking, oh, culturally, oh, this person is just the greatest and this person is just, you know, singing and they're never going to grow old, they're never going to die, and next week it's going to be somebody else, and the week after that it's going to be somebody else. You know, we can do that materially. We call it keeping up with the Joneses. This week, oh, I desire this. Oh, no, now this week this new has come out, and I desire this. Oh, no, this week is new, and, and I, I'm getting this. What are you doing? You're being blown about by every, wherever the wind blows. That is not a rooted life. That's a driven life, if you like. We go back to the question, what sounds more like your life? What sounds more like my life? Being a tree that's planted by rivers of water, producing fruit, bringing forth fruit, leaf not withering, life prospering. Why? Because you made your delight in knowing God and being known by God. Or is your life something that's being driven about by winds of culture, winds of politics, or winds of technology, or winds of, well, anything this life has to offer? What is your life producing? Reflective questions this psalm causes me to ask. Number next. Number four, thank you. What is the result of my manner of life? Therefore, when you see a therefore, you look to see what it's. Therefore, therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. What is the fate of the ungodly man? Here is a man that when God comes to judge... And we could be talking about the second coming here or when God comes and stands in judgment of this person's life. When God comes to judge, here is a person who will not be able to stand. Here, Revelation talks about a time when uh, Christ is going to come in judgment. And he talks about the rich, those who have trusted in their riches and in their, uh, their earthly possessions to save them. He talks about the kings of the earth and all the mighty men and all these people trying to hide them to the mountains and saying to the mountains, fall on us and hills cover us. Who's going to save us from the wrath of the Lamb? The answer is no one. It's often been observed that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's a fact. How we reach that day is all based upon how we've responded to the message of Christ. Here's the thing. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Can we say some willingly here in this life? That would be you and me. But some unwillingly because it was that they heard the message of Christ and they rejected it for whatever reason. They spurned it again and again and again and again. Those people are still going to bow before Christ. Those people are still going to be in the judgment. The difference is, are we ready to be able to stand in the judgment like the godly man is implied to do here in the psalm? Or are we going to cower in the judgment because it is that we have not made our delight and loved the Lord in knowing God and being known by God? That's up to you. That's up to me. That's my choice. That's your choice. What does my life produce? But what is my fate of my delight, of my manner of life? If you'd like to include an abiding principle, what is the abiding principle? Verse 6. Four. Word of explanation. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Well, wait a minute, mind. I'm thinking in myself, and I'm saying to myself, self, doesn't God know the way of all men? 
Doesn't Proverbs 15 verse 3 say, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the good and over the evil? And the answer is yes. But here's the, more, the main idea. God is able to keep the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly will not last. I wonder if Psalm 1 is not Psalm 1 because it's so simple. But it's so profound when you talk about the type of life and the type of people we are to cultivate and the type of people we're to be. I kind of wonder if in the Jewish household, as they would have their, uh, their Jewish psalms and they're looking at those things in the Hebrew and, and they're saying, all right, kids, what do you want to sing tonight? If the kids said, let's sing Psalm 1. About this man who's made his delight and loved the Lord, and he's planted like a, like a tree beside rivers of water. And let's sing, Mama, about the chaff, about how the wind drives him away. Okay, and who do we want to be, kids? We want to be the godly man, the man who makes his delight and love the Lord. We want to be people who are known by God and who know God. Observation, interpretation, application. Principles you can take with you from Psalm 1. Number one, as goes our delight, so goes our life. As goes our delight, so goes our life. What's your life filled with? Uncertainty, fear, trepidation, unclarity, unfocus. Where it is that you're just waiting for the next greatest thing to roll around. Or is it that you say, you know what, things come and go. People make their delights in all sorts of different things, don't they? Things are going to come and go, but you know what? I'm going to continue looking to the God of my salvation. I'm going to continue striving to be a person that's known by God and that knows God. As goes our delight, so goes our life. Second principle, I'm would apply from this psalm, <laughs> a rooted life is far better than a driven life. We talk about people in terms of this, don't we? We say, oh, that person has a whole lot of drive. Oh, they're going to make it up to the top, aren't they? You know what? People that have a whole lot of drive in their life, how long is it before they drive over somebody in order to get to what they're going and what go to, or to get where they're going? How long is it before they start to take advantage of people or treat people like they're just disposable property? Because it is that they don't have a right view of who God is and they don't have a right view of what God's called us to be. They're going to make their friends with the ungodly. They're going to make their friends with the sinners and they're going to make their seats with the scornful. Why? Because that's what they've chosen. And the result of the manner of their life is going to be the fact that they're going to just be driven from here and there and here and there and here and there until the day that... Well, until the day that there is no more. But folks, that's not who we want to be. We want to be people who are rooted and who are grounded. Who are people who are known by God and who know God. Last one, lesson's yours. The Lord's way is always the best way. And it is the only way that's going to endure. There are people who like to sit in judgment of the Bible. And sit in judgment of what God said. Why did God say that? Couldn't he just have said this? Why did God tell us this? That doesn't make any sense. I don't understand that. Why did he have to say it like that? And they will look with, uh, with, 
with the eyes of scoffers, with the eyes of those who are sitting in judgment, like Psalm 1 verse 1. They're going to look at what God has said and they're saying, I'm not going to listen to that. We do so to our own peril when we choose to take that frame of mind. But you know what? The things that God has told us, the things God has told us in his word are profitable. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. The things that he's told us are for our good. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 3. And whenever it is I look at what God has said, I may not necessarily understand why it is he said it, but I can understand that I know that it is for my good, ultimately. You know, we draw boundaries for our children. You know why? Because we want to keep them safe. We want to keep them out of trouble. And so we tell the children, listen, you are not allowed to go outside and play in the front yard unless mommy or daddy are with you. Children may not understand that completely. But you know what? They can respect that. Because mom and dad are there for their good. That rule is there for their good. Folks, when we look at God and how he's given us every good and perfect gift, how he is the source of all great blessings, you know what I can do? I can trust God and realize that what he's given me about how it is that I conduct myself and how I think and how I talk and how I treat my family and how I treat others, I want to follow him because I know that that's going to produce what's best in my life. We can trust that and we can that. And so the question we ask as we conclude, who are you going to be? Who are you going to continue to be? I hope it is that you're like that man who's rooted and grounded because you've made your delight in the law of the Lord and in his law you're meditating day and night, Psalm 1. But if it is that you're a person that's being chased about and that you look at the paper and you say, oh no, the, <laughs> the walls are falling in or I've got to run over here and I've got to get this and I've got to run over here and I've got to get this. If your life is producing that, folks, look at your delight. Look to the root. And it's time to change. I hope this lesson has been encouraging for you. If you have the needs of this local congregation, if we can help you, if we can pray with you and pray for you, we've already had two beautiful souls that have been added to the kingdom today. Zach and Jody Slade obeyed the gospel this morning following our morning worship, and we are so happy. Wouldn't it be great if we had a soul that needed to turn away? The Bible tells us that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repents, over 99 that need no repentance. We'd love to be able to rejoice with the angels of heaven that if you need to repent this evening or if you're ready to obey the gospel like the Slades did this morning, we're ready to receive you as we stand and sing our invitation song.